Amen. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. It's always a joy to be with you to preach God's word. Uh, Scott and about 30 other people in our church are currently in Israel, so we're taking a break from our study in Hebrews. I've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew the last few days and uh, tracking Jesus's earthly ministry and just kind of wondering where they are in that track, which is awesome. I'm excited to hear stories when they get back, but this morning I want to start off with a question for you. What would you do for freedom? What would you do for freedom? Maybe it's a question that you don't often think about in a land where the First Amendment, uh, you you live under the First Amendment, um, you you have freedoms generally, but what would you do for freedom? Let's say that you lived a life of slavery or oppression or if you were unjustly imprisoned, what would you do to maintain your freedom, to to obtain your freedom again? How much is your freedom worth? Well, history is filled with many, many examples, inspiring examples of men and women that went to great lengths to win back their freedom when it was lost. We're not designed to live in bondage. We need freedom. Think of Moses before the most powerful man on the planet, standing up to Pharaoh, let my people go. Think of William Wallace encouraging his just beaten up countrymen they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Scottish needs a little work there, but anyway. Think of Patrick Henry's famous line. You remember what it was? He defined an entire generation of Americans, give me liberty or give me death. There we go. What about um, this past Monday, MLK Day? One of the first things I did in my office, I, tur- I turned on the I Have a Dream speech and watched through a beautiful speech of a man that's envisioning a society where freedom would ring from every hill in America, every molehill in Mississippi. That was a man that was convinced, passionate for freedom, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. It's in our bones. We are not meant to live in bondage. We would rather die than to be subjected to a life of slavery. Uh, we, we have this little hymns playlist we let our girls go to bed with, and there's one of the hymns that slipped on there, an old spiritual, Oh Freedom. And it's great to hear my little daughters walk around the house singing, Oh Freedom, Oh Freedom over me. And before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. We value freedom about as much as we value oxygen. It's that important. So let me ask a follow-up question. What would you do to keep your freedom? It's kind of a crazy follow-up question, maybe not very logical. If, if freedom is that valuable to us where we would die to obtain our freedom, surely you would do what it takes to keep it, right? Actually, history is filled with examples of the exact opposite. Think of Moses. God miraculously parts the waters. They walk through on dry ground into their freedom, into the wilderness. And you know what happens Just a couple nights in, they're around the campfire. And you know what they start talking about? Onions. (laughs) They miss the onions and the cucumbers and the, the melons of Egypt. And they started making plans to swim back across the waters that God parted for a cucumber. (laughs) Either Egypt has produced some wonderful cucumbers or we have a major problem. And I think it's the second Benjamin Franklin was actually aware of this tension when he signed the Declaration of Independence. Um, Really interesting story. Perhaps you're you're aware of this by now. It's a famous story. But when he exited Independence Hall, a certain Miss Powell came up to him. They were outside waiting. What do we have? This is a big moment. Were they going to sign the Declaration of Independence? So she asked him, well, doctor, what have we got? A republic or a monarchy? And he responded very insightfully, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. What a, what a brilliant, insightful response. He knew how glorious freedom was. It's precious. What, what they were signing for this country is rare. 
And what we have is wonderful. And yet he also knew that we would give it up like that. Freedom is something we would die for, but like Esau, we would give it up for a warm bowl of soup on the wrong day. So that's, that's a tension. And I bring these questions up because this is actually one of the tensions that exists in the New Testament. One of the central themes of the gospel is that Christ has set you free. Think of Romans 8. Hunter just read the end of that chapter. Think of the very first verse in that chapter, a beautiful description of the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. You don't fear God's wrath. No condemnation. Sin, the devil, they can't condemn you. For the law of the spirit of Christ has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Christians, we don't have to fear God's wrath. We don't have to just be crushed under the unbearable weight of the law or under our sins. We don't have to fear the world, the flesh, the devil. We can look at the grave and say, oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus died so that we can enjoy a life of freedom. Galatians 5.1 says it beautifully. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Just let that word ring in your head. For freedom, Christ has set us free. He wants us to enjoy this life. And yet, like the Israelites, we're so quick to walk away from it. We leave it. Jesus set us free and wants us to live in this perfect harmony with him. And yet, how often do we go and find comfort in our sin? How often do we try to earn our favor back through the law? We're free from that struggle. How often do we, God adopted us into his family. How often do we try to earn our approval from men? We are, we constantly go back into this life of slavery. The message of the New Testament is not just you're free in Christ. It's you're free in Christ. Why would you ever go back? This is actually the theme of several New Testament books. Very early in the church's history, um, it was surfacing that Christians were leaving the faith. We've seen this over the past year in the book of Hebrews. This morning, we're gonna take a break from that. We're gonna study Galatians, which is essentially the same subject. People were going back to the law. So if you have your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter five. I heard it uh, said this week that Galatians is like the Magna Carta of the Christian faith, a beautiful letter written to define freedom. And so as you're working over to Galatians chapter five, let me explain a bit of the context. Paul started these churches on his first missionary journey. He went to this region, proclaimed the gospel, and it was received with joy. Churches were planted, established. There was indication that they were joyfully committed to Jesus in their early days. But as soon as Paul left, as often happened, false teachers came into the region and started spreading heresies. Now, this particular brand of false teaching, on the surface, really wasn't that bad. It didn't look like it, at least. These guys came in and they said, all right, we believe in Jesus, we'll keep going. But here's the deal. God's people for the last thousands, you know, several thousands of years, we've practiced circumcision. And so we're just gonna keep that going because God probably wants us from his people. And this will provide you just a little bit of extra assurance, a little bit extra freedom. We want you to enjoy your freedom. So just do this and then you'll be free. Doesn't seem like a big deal, right? Just one simple law. What's the threat? They were actually so successful that they even convinced the apostle Peter. And even he kind of left the gospel and started hanging out with these people in the, what Paul calls the circumcision party. They weren't trying to get him to reject Jesus, just adopt a couple of small laws. That's it. It's good for you. It's one of the first major theological issues in Paul's ministry. And on the surface, it looks like, just let it go, Paul. Go deal with other big things up in Rome. Let these guys do that. Paul knew the danger. If you adopt one little law, you, you may as well be bound to the whole thing. A little leaven in Galatians 5 leavens the whole batch. 
If you try to justify yourself through any work, you're dead. You're enslaved. The only hope is to go forward in Jesus. And so he writes this beautiful letter to teach them how to, how to enjoy Christian freedom. And we need to hear that because the, the pathways back into a life of slavery are so subtle and they're so attractive and we do this all the time. And so let's listen to Galatians chapter five. We're gonna look at three verses, 13, 14, and 15. Powerful text this morning. Let's read these together. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Lord, would you work in our hearts this morning? We are your children and we're gathered here this morning under your word. We don't want to bend your word to suit our desires, Father, but we would bend our lives to fit your word. And so would your word speak powerfully this morning? Would your spirit be among us, God, and, and move us and allow us to respond to hard teaching? I pray that you would let us respond to it in grace this morning, God. Would your word do its work in our lives? And may we leave all together unified, rejoicing in the gospel today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So in this text, Paul will show us two things. How do you get Christian freedom and how do you keep it? How do you get it? How do you keep it? Is it? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. First, how do you get Christian freedom? The text begins with an interesting phrase, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Is that how you think of freedom, the pursuit of freedom, something you were called into? I mean, in every example that I mentioned in the beginning, freedom was demanded. It was this glorious pursuit that we set our minds to it. We demand freedom. Give me liberty or give me death. If we're enslaved, we will earn it back. And yet that's not how the Bible talks about our freedom, is it? That's not how you get Christian freedom. You don't just set your mind to it and say, I'm under God's wrath. I am under the law. I will put my mind to it and I will follow God's law. That's actually slavery. You, you can't find freedom that way. We were called to freedom. Perhaps a better example would be like the man that traveled in the Underground Railroad with Harriet Tubman. What a, what a wonderful lady. Harriet Tubman bringing thousands of slaves to freedom. And on the way up, I mean, this is a grueling pace. They're going at night. They're going all throughout the watches of the, throughout the day. Um, and it's very tiring. They didn't have a ton of food. And on, on one leg of the journey, one of the men just said, I'm done. I'm out. And he gave up. And he said, I'm, I'm going back. I would rather be a slave than to, to live like this in order to get my freedom. You know what Harriet Tubman did? She pulled out a gun, pointed it at his head and said, go on with us or die. <laughs> the man made it to Canada. That's like our journey to freedom. We didn't even want it. I'd rather be a slave. I'd rather just live in my old comforts and sin and, and we didn't even know how bad off we were until God came through and he broke down the chains and he, and, he, and he redeemed us and he rescued us. Brothers and sisters, you were called to freedom. That's the gospel. As wonderful as that story of redemption is and we need to hear it daily um, because we, our sinful natures really, really don't like that narrative very much and we'll try to find another path. We'll try to bypass the cross because we like to be the hero. Deep down, we love it. We want the credit. We want to earn it. We want to deserve it. In that story, you want to identify with Harriet Tubman, don't you? Nobody wants to identify with the scared man that's cowering. I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to go back. That's us. Jesus is the hero. I'd rather identify with William Wallace than the scared Scotsman behind the tree not wanting to fight. 
That's who we are. Not, not engaged. We, we, we need to realize this about ourselves. We're not the hero of the story. Jesus Christ is. We were called to freedom. And the only way to experience true freedom is to lay down your striving and trust in Jesus. Faith in Christ. That's your pathway to freedom. Faith in Jesus. Paul spelled this out a couple chapters earlier. Look at Galatians 2.16. Strong text. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we've believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because listen, nobody, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There is not a path to freedom through the law. It's only through Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law for you. The Galatians thought they could earn it by just upholding one little bit of the law. Just one little bit. But they couldn't. And neither can we. We are completely helpless. Jesus paid the price that we could not pay. And you know what it cost him? It cost him his blood. He gave up his freedom so that you could enjoy freedom. For freedom, Christ has set you free. That's the message of the gospel. All the glory in this story belongs to Jesus. You were called into that. And so if you come in this morning in bondage, in slavery to your sin, maybe you're trying to please God through your perfect obedience to the law, I wanna call you to freedom this morning. You can't do it. You cannot justify yourself by a single work of the law. It will not happen. You will not earn freedom through sin. The only way is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I'm calling you this morning to believe in Jesus and experience the freedom that you were designed to enjoy. That's how we get freedom. The second question I wanna ask in the follow-up is how do you keep it? And again, this is just not a logical flow of thought, is it? Well, if, if, if you understand the gospel, of course, you would do what it takes. You would live in that gospel freedom, right? Not so fast. Now, I'm not suggesting we can lose our salvation. That's, not, that's a different discussion. I'm not gonna talk about that, but I am suggesting that we can lose sight of the power that saves us and begin to live in the power of our flesh. This is what was happening to the Galatian church. They were living in the power of their flesh, not in the power of the spirit. And when you do that, it's like you're going back into the prison cell that Jesus broke open. And so how do you keep it? How do you maintain, or, or better, how do you enjoy the freedom that God has called you into? How do you enjoy that? Look at verses 13 and 14. You are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul was concerned that the Galatians would abuse their freedom, and so he offered two ways to maintain the freedom, to live in the freedom that God has given you. Here's two ways, you ready? The first is to fight the flesh. The first way that you live in the freedom that we have is to fight the flesh. Christ has set you free, but that does not mean that you're free to live in a selfish state where you do everything to please yourself. That's your quickest way back to slavery. And so verse 13 says it very clearly. You've been set free. You've been called to this freedom, but don't use it as an opportunity to sin. Paul had just spent four chapters describing to the Galatians that Christ had set them free from the demands of the law. You cannot fulfill the law, but Christ has fulfilled it for you. That's freedom. It's an amazing doctrine. You're no longer bound. You're under the crushing weight of the law. You're outside of it. There's another way to righteousness, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. But that freedom comes with a huge responsibility. You're not bound by the law anymore. Now you can live as you wish, but that doesn't mean that you can live as you wish. 
Do you hear that? It doesn't mean that you can indulge in this sinful nature. It doesn't mean you can give an opportunity to the flesh. Now that's a good churchy biblical word. What is the flesh? It's all throughout the Bible. The flesh, just to give you a couple of ideas, it's the part in you that was broken in the fall. The sin nature. It's the part of you that hates God. And there is a part in you that is not like God. Before God came and broke you of that, there's a part in you that does not like God. It's the part of you, and that sounds like kind of nasty, but here's the, here's the trick. The flesh is the part of you that loves you. The flesh rejoices when you're comfortable and when you're rich and when you're secure. The flesh, you see, is an enemy of the gospel. The next paragraph, the famous fruit of the spirit text will describe this battle between the flesh and the spirit of Christ. And these are against each other. And this is a real spiritual battle that's waging inside of you. In your salvation, the flesh was put to death, and yet in our sinful bodies, there is still this struggle. We want to feed the flesh. Because somewhere deep down inside, I think most of us are convinced that the flesh will provide us more freedom than the spirit of Christ. We lose faith, and so we keep the flesh around because it can give us instant results. The spirit doesn't always work that quickly. Let's say that you're struggling with loneliness. It's a real thing. It can be crippling. What does the Spirit give you? The Spirit gives you patience. That's freedom. He gives you love and joy in the middle of that loneliness. That's Christian freedom. What does the flesh give you? A hundred different things. What are your tastes? It can give you anything that you want to. This afternoon, you can be resolved of your loneliness. That's what the flesh does for you. We think that the flesh can give us freedom. What if you're battling boredom? That's a real struggle. I think a lot of people are just bored these days. What does the Spirit give you? The faithfulness, conviction, direction, a sense of meaning and purpose. The flesh. Man, you've got a thousand opportunities at your fingertips this afternoon to solve that. What if you're wounded? What if you're hurt? The Spirit will compel you to forgive. That's freedom. The flesh will lay in bed at night and go, you are right, they're wrong. And then you rehearse the hundreds of different ways in your head why you're right and why they're wrong and you reinforce it. And it feels like freedom, but what it's doing is it's dragging you into a deeper dungeon, a deeper form of slavery. The flesh promises freedom and it delivers death. It must die. But I found a lot of Christians, we make a deal with the flesh. We keep it around as long as it behaves. It, it, it promises to behave. I think, in fact, in verse, uh, chapter six, he talks about these people that come in and make a good showing in the flesh. The flesh can put on church clothes. And the flesh can look really nice and really spiritual. And so we keep the flesh around. That's a dangerous game. It allows you to follow Jesus but live a comfortable, self-centered life. That is a life of slavery. And I don't want you to live like that. So what do we do? It's a destructive way to, to live. As John Owen said very famously, you must be killing sin or sin will always be killing you. We need to take sin seriously and the flesh provides us with opportunities to sin over and over and over. But every time you see that rise up in you, kill it. It promises freedom. Don't believe it. Live a life of faith in Jesus. The way to freedom is the spirit of God living inside of me. That is the only freedom that you will have. Kill the flesh. 
Put it to death. Look at verse 24 of, of chapter five. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You wanna live a free life? Kill the flesh. Let it go. Remember that Jesus killed it on the cross. Now, while I'm on this point, let me just say this. I think this is why the Bible speaks so highly of trials. Do you ever reconcile? Why does the New Testament say rejoice in suffering? Well, because here's what happens when you suffer, when trials come, when you get the diagnosis, when your family falls apart, when a natural disaster strikes an area, the flesh comes to the surface and all the things you've been hiding, come to the, they float up to the top. Guess what? This is who I am. You, there's no hiding it. When you get sick, there's no hiding that. That's why James 5 connects sickness with repent, a call to repentance. Because when you get sick, you're going to see who you really are. I'm an anxious, fearful mess. And that's a life of slavery. And God wants you to be free from that. And so when trials come, rejoice. Because now you see who you are. And you can bring it to the cross. And you can confess. And you can repent. That's how you kill the flesh. Bring it to the cross. And repent. And so if you come in this morning with a heightened awareness of your flesh. Don't despair. You're not, you're not a slave to shame and to guilt. Bring it to the cross of Jesus and repent. Now, that's how you kill the flesh. Now, I, I realize I've been to church services like this where I've, I've been called to repent. And you know what I think? I'm pretty good. I had a good week. <laughs> There's nothing there to, re to repent of. Like, if, you, if it's been a month or so, if you've not repented in 2019, here's the thing. Probably what's happened is, is that you have negotiated a really good deal with your flesh. And it's there and it's active and it's working in your life and you don't even know that it's there. And that is a scary place to be. That's slavery is what that is. And so if you don't know kind of where the flesh is this morning and what it, where, where it's plaguing you, I want to invite you to do something very simply. Just very one practical step. Take a day over the next few days and fast. Skip a meal. This is a spiritual a battle right here. Skip a meal. Skip two meals. And by the afternoon, pay attention to your emotions. Your flesh will growl. <laughs> and you're going to find not just a physical hunger. Every time I, fast, I find an anger or some weird despair or something deep down in there that I wouldn't have known if I just covered it up. And so allow yourself to, to allow the Lord to kind of investigate what, where am I hiding sin in my heart? And so open it up. And when that happens, repent. So you want to live a free life in Christ? Kill the flesh. That's number one. Number two, serve the body. Here's the, the text again. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in a single command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's one of the best ways to keep the flesh in the grave is to live a life of service to one another. Now, this is a beautiful Christian paradox. The life of freedom that God is calling you to can only be maintained and enjoyed when, when you're living a life of service to others. The text is actually more strong, a life of slavery. I, I am in bonds to you. That's Christian freedom. My sinful brain cannot process that. How is that? But the New Testament says statements like this all the time. You're free, now serve one another. That's a life of freedom. How does that make sense? How do you reconcile that? I would simply remind you of Jesus. He was the freest person our world has ever known. Perfect communion with God. Perfect obedience to the law. Never dealt with sin. 100% free. And yet his life was not 
it was not devoted to himself. He lived for others. He did not come to be served, though he could have. He came to serve. Philippians 2, he took on the form of a servant. John 13, his, in his final hours, he bent down, took a, a bucket of water and a wash rag and washed his disciples' feet. Love one another. That's, that's the message of Jesus. That is what freedom looks like. Love one another. God has designed us to flourish when we lay down our lives for the sake of our neighbor. Christian freedom right there. Now, what does that look like practically? Here's the best part. I don't have to just give you a list. You actually have the application in your heart. It's somewhere woven into your soul. Think about Jesus' statement. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven. Maybe you knew this as the golden rule when you were a child. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also for them. That's the law and the prophets. Whatever you want other people to do for you, do for other people. That's how you know how to serve. That's kind of the creative energy. How do I serve other people? Well, just think for a second. What do you want other people to do for you? Let me ask a bit more specifically. What did you want as a child? I'm not talking like candy. I wanted a lot of candy as a kid, right? I wanted ice cream all the time. Not my flesh, but what would help me as a child follow Jesus? What kind of a mom, a dad, what kind of a, a, a Sunday school teacher influences in my life that I need? How did I want to be treated then? What about when I was going through those grueling middle school and high school years? What did you need? A friend? Someone to take you out for a cup of coffee to check on you, to pray for you, to help you memorize the word? What about as a college student? What did you need? To help you follow the Lord, what would, what would it have taken? What about your first few years of marriage? Think back to those times. The, the, those, those, those early days of marriage. What would you need from somebody else? What kind of encouragement? What kind of support? What kind of service? What about those years where you were going through your 20s as a single person? What did you need? You have it in you. You know the answers to that question. What about when you were starting your family or, or when you got the diagnosis? What did you want other people to do for you? Now do that for other people. Just take some time to think through that. Do that for other people. And that's freedom. When you fight the flesh and you serve your neighbors in the power of the spirit, you're living the life God designed you to live. That's freedom. You fight the flesh and you serve one another. Could you imagine what would happen to this church if we were passionately committed to fighting our flesh and serving one another? The power of the spirit, it would be transformed. What would happen in your family, in your home, if you just laid down your argument and you, you gave up that unforgiving spirit and you put the flesh to death and you embraced the spirit of God and you lived in the power of the spirit, every person in your family, can you imagine the, the life that would grow out of the home or your apartment or your dorm or your office? What would happen if we did this? It's beautiful. It's a wonderful Christian community. Now, before I close, let me just address the kind of the opposite vision of that because this is what Paul gives us in verse 15. We, we switch it. Instead of fighting the flesh, serving the body, we serve the flesh and fight the body. And that's what we often get in churches. And that's a nasty picture. Look at this. Look at what Paul says here in verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Again, when you serve the flesh, keep it strong, fight one another, you get a culture of Christian cannibalism. I don't care about you, I will use you and I will eat you. And Paul says, literally, you're gonna eat yourself into nothing. That's a strong warning, is it not? 
Sin is a very serious thing. It will imprison you. It will destroy the church. And so take it seriously. Jesus died for you to set you free. Kill the flesh. Walk in step with the spirit. Serve one another. Don't give your flesh an opportunity. I don't want this to happen to us. I want us at our church to enjoy a life of freedom by embracing the gospel and by embracing Jesus. One of the reasons I wanted to preach this text today is because we're having a, a, a volunteer fair upstairs on your way out. There, there are incredible things happening at this church. One of the, one of the uh, things I enjoy most about this new job that I'm in is that I am getting to see up close and personal. I used to have an office next to Marcy, Hallie, Seth, the, ver- the various ministry leaders here. And, and I just wasn't aware until I got into this job and started hearing that women's ministry is doing incredible things, as is our children's ministry and our youth ministry and college. And there's incredible opportunities for you to serve. And I don't want you just to bypass and get out of here. We've set it up to make it easy for you to have a conversation, to to learn about what's going on in our ministries. And this is a great, easy way for you to get plugged in and serve. And so on your way out, I want you to swing by. They'll be up there for uh, a good little bit after church. Have a good conversation and maybe ask the Lord, how can I serve this body? How can I lay my life down and enjoy a life of Christian freedom through service? Now, that's not the only application. I don't want you to think that by going up and signing up for a ministry opportunity that you're fulfilling the law and the prophets. It's a start, though. All right, do you hear that? It's a start. You will have a thousand other ways to fulfill that today. We're gonna stack chairs in a second. There we go. And you get a chance to serve one another and to care for one another and to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel. As you go home and you get in your car and you cook lunch and you clean up the dishes and you work through the afternoon, you're gonna have a thousand ways to enjoy the life of freedom for freedom Christ has set us free. Let's pray. Stand and pray with me.